it's your gig, man. I'm just on board for you. Hey, everybody. In this dose of performance anxiety, we talk with Kira Rossler. We have a scuba adventure. We talk about Black Flag. And how is she connected to Game of Thrones? Give us a follow at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram. And don't forget to buy things from us at performanceanx.threadless.com. Rate and review every show. Subscribe. It really helps us out. So enjoy Kira Rossler. Hey, it's Kira. I'm a bass player on Performance Anxiety. All right. Well, I really do appreciate you coming on. This is really cool to have. I'm not really well versed in punk. So this is uh, this will be more of a learning show for me. So I really do appreciate any knowledge you give me. Right. Well, um, I don't know if I am either. I certainly have my ideas, but then other people have their ideas. But not everybody lived through it like you did. So I'm really happy to talk with you. Okay, well, we'll give it a try. All right, perfect. So you started in music at the age of six, right? And that's, uh, you started playing right. piano. Yes. I, I started on piano. I played piano from six to 11, classical piano. My brother and I both studied. I have an older brother, three years older. Paul, I, right? Right. Yeah. He and I both studied piano. And then I quit because I couldn't keep up with him because he was three years older and I'm miserably competitive. <laughs> and um, then uh, after taking a couple of years off, he was in this sort of prog rock band uh, that needed a bass player. And uh, so I started practicing really hard to... Because I figured if I could play with him, it would be different than trying to compete with him. Ah, okay. And by the time I was, you know, anywhere good enough to, and not really good enough to be in his prog rock band, he had sort of moved <laughs> on to, to punk rock, which didn't require quite the level of musicianship. <laughs> so <laughs> it was all good. So is that what drew you to punk, the simplicity of the music? No, I mean, my, I followed my brother into many things. Ah. It was really his. He had some friends. Uh, he had a friend, that he, a couple of friends he went to high school with who uh, formed a band called The Germs. Oh, and yeah, yeah. We went, right. And we went and saw the first gig I went to. You know, we went and saw them at the Whiskey uh, in Hollywood and followed them in. And I tagged along. And then we lived in this sort of crash pad and had a garage in the back and, you know, would practice and had created our own punk rock band and <laughs> did gigs. Yeah. So um, I think that more than the simplicity, it did, it was the more, it wasn't arena rock, you know, it was mm-hmm. like. Club, club rock and like accessible in terms of you could start a band and you could try to, you know, play in a club and it wasn't like you had a rock star. Okay. Know? Okay. And afterwards you're at the show and the, the band is still hanging out at the show. Well, I, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So, well, I mean, cause that was one thing I always liked about going to smaller clubs and, and still do actually is because after the show, if you like the band, you know, they're usually hanging out at the bar for an hour or so or, or uh, breaking down and, and 
they're almost accessible. You can actually talk to them. You know, you go to a big arena rock show, you you can't see them at all. Absolutely. Ideally, if they're not totally antisocial, you can actually talk to them and or, you know, get an autograph or I mean, whatever it is that your interest is. Did you grow up in a musical family? Since you, both you and your brother have made careers no, out of No, my music. parents were not musicians at all. Okay. So what did what did your I know your your dad was he was creative though. He he was yes, a photographer. He, well, right? he started uh he was uh he worked in at IBM at, in the early early days of computers like when they were as big as a room oh, and gosh. could do like pong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is kind of cool uh because eventually I followed him t- into that field for a while. But then he, when I was eight years old, he said, screw the corporate world (laughs) and took the family to the Caribbean to become an underwater photographer. Wow. And then um, after we were there for a few years, he he had met a guy down there who ran scuba diving tours all over the world. And he came back to help run and eventually run a company in San Francisco that ran scuba diving tours all over the world for years and years. Oh, wow. That's awesome. See, I'm a photographer by schooling myself. So that, that to me is awesome. I love that. So Carl Rossler, you should look him up. He's, he's all over the internet. He has a website oh, with wow. all his, his more recently doing a lot of like, Grown photography also has his underwater photography on his website from from various locations. So, uh, oh, man, I would definitely check that out. Yeah, he's very accessible. So, how did you come back to mainland U.S.? Um, how? Yeah, <laughs> what, what, what you, after after. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that is a great answer. Um, <laughs> what drew you back as, as far as if you you was it coming back with your dad to go? Back to California. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was 11, so okay. I didn't. It was not up to me. My parents moved us back, and we moved to San Francisco. And I was going to go to junior high. Okay, so you were still young when you when you guys came back. Yes, okay. yes. I, from eight till eleven, I lived in the Caribbean, and I went to school in Dutch, which is the language there. And I scuba dived in the afternoons, most afternoons. Oh my god! And then. Uh, and then we moved to San Francisco, suburbs of San Francisco for a couple of years. And then my parents got divorced and I, my brother, my mom and I moved to L.A. Okay. And then you started playing bass and you started, you got into your first band called Wax, right? That's right. When I was 16, okay. uh, I was living at that crash pad I was talking about. Mom had uh, moved away and Paul and I were living at this crash pad started a band called Wax, um, and uh, I was Candy Kane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So th- this would be 77. Okay. that's That sounds about right for that time. Yeah. So, and then you, so your first gig was at the Whiskey A Go-Go, right? Why, you know everything. I, what do you need me for? <laughs> well, because it's better to hear it in your voice. Okay, yeah, I played the Whiskey... Um, my first gig uh, with, was like a Sunday afternoon. That was that's a pretty amazing place to play your first gig, at least very yeah, historic. Well, it was it was like a, a, a Rodney Binghamheimer. He had a radio show where he was doing um, 
some punk rock bands. So he had uh, booking capabilities on Sundays at the Whiskey. Were there a lot of places booking punk back in, in that no. time? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the really, there was really only one consistent place for the first few years, which was this hole in the basement underneath the Pussycat Theater on Hollywood Boulevard called The Mask. Okay. Uh, the whiskey would have gigs, and then they would say no more punk rock, and and then they would do it again. The Starwood, same thing. They would sometimes do it, sometimes not. Occasionally, the band, a uh, place called the Roxy, would do it, but very few places. And they always end up accusing punk, the punkers of trashing the place, and then would stop doing it. There would be gigs at halls, like a special, like you know, rent out a hall and a PA system and doing it that way, but um, nothing consistent. Did you, who were your uh, early influences at that time? And since punk was just uh, brand new, who were you listening to? to, well, to- I, uh, my, I had favorite bands. I don't know if they were influences because I always say this. Um, I don't really understand the idea of people having influences who were like bass player influences, for example, because my influences were always the people I was playing with because, okay. a, you know, a bass player is about like doing what's right for the situation you're in. Right. What's, right. It, doesn't ma- it doesn't matter if I want to sound like, you know, Jacko Pastorius, <laughs> but I'm a rock band, you know, so it doesn't matter if that's my, you know, so anyway, but I had favorite bands. I, uh, I liked the Screamers, which my brother eventually joined as uh, we're the only keyboard punk rock band and oh. he played sports. Um, so eventually joined uh, that band. So I did <laughs> Wax and then uh, uh, the guitar player from Wax and I had a band called The Visitors, which had the singer who had been in a Devo video. Oh, wow. <laughs> claim to fame. <laughs> uh, and we got some gigs. We opened for Devo because of that. And oh, then, that's really cool. Uh, and then we had a band called The Monsters who never played because we had the drummer who had been in The Weirdos and he refused to play any gigs unless we could headline the whiskey, which, of course, we couldn't. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Jeez. So we never played any gigs. And I had an all-girl band, or I attempted to have an all-girl band. Um, that was called Sex Sick. Okay. I, I heard now I was in doing a little research for the, the show. I found a video on YouTube that was yeah. called Kira's List. And it supposedly has a couple Sex Sick songs on it. Uh, I believe that. I like them. <laughs> List. I like them. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I just typed in your name and interviewed because I wanted to, to find a little more information out. And uh, that's one of the first things that popped up. And it's a sound, it's got a couple tracks, a couple live tracks from I think '85 from Black Flag, a couple things from Sex Sick, a couple songs from Dose, and and some other stuff, and uh, I think some other stuff you did with Mike Watt. But uh, in listening to the to the two tracks that uh, Sex Sick has on that tape, that's really good. It doesn't it, to me. It doesn't sound like punk. It sounds a little more rock. Oh, 
Well, see, here's the thing as we go back to this idea of what is punk. In the original sort of idea, it wasn't like, oh, you have to play really hard and fast and scream. You know, it wasn't like okay. that. You know? Okay. It was like, it just was like, like, do your own thing. I mean, a lot of the punk rock bands were totally just rock. Like, look at the Ramones. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I always thought they were way too just plain rock <laughs> to even call them anything different. Personally, nothing against that. But right. I mean, and the weirdos were very kind of straight rock band. Yeah. I mean, so it had to do with a bit of a look. It had a bit to do with a bit of an attitude and politics. But um, most of all, it had to do with sort of anti the established what music was, which was disco and arena rock, you know. Okay. And so, you know, I never have felt constrained. Like, I think Dose is incredibly punk rock because there's nothing like it. Really. That's you true. Know? So, so to my mind, you know, it was... Let's face it, when I go to write a song, I'm going to be influenced by my background, just as you're going to be yours and someone else's, you know, you have what you have. I came from listening to some rock, some, you know, Bowie or the Stones or whatever, like, you know, classical, jazz, you know, you have the things that brought you to this place and then you're influenced by that. So... Yeah, I mean, those songs were written by myself and the guitar player, and uh, it, it, you know, we we loved Black Flag by the end of Sex Sick. I don't remember what songs were on Curious List. But, <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I can't. I, uh, I don't doesn't re- matter. <laughs> it's actually, there's two songs that were Sex Sick songs that I brought to Black Flag, and Henry wrote words to. In the later part of uh, on the in in my head record, I think on Black Flag, there is uh, the music is written by me, and those songs were Sex Sick songs. But anyway, oh, Sex Sick cool. never put out a record. We played very few gigs. We mostly just practiced. And girl, it's because girls are girls. Yeah, is yeah. why I didn't like playing in in girl band and, and that was my one and only attempt to have a girl band so you go from sex sick the visitors the monsters and then twisted in- roots uh was my uh, brother's yes. band and i played in three incarnations of that and was kicked out of every single one by my brother <laughs> oh my gosh why were you, why are you getting kicked out all the time uh, see it's not really his fault because what would happen is like the drummer or somebody would go like, well, I don't want to play with her anymore. And then like Paul would go like, yeah, I have a really good drummer here and they're hard to find, you know? Oh, and then yeah. sure enough, it, it, because people are people, the truth is they don't want, didn't want to play in the band anymore. And they didn't think Paul would throw me out. So Paul would throw <laughs> me out and then they wouldn't want to play anymore anyway. And he'd end up, you know, back where he started with. Oh, geez. <laughs> Anyway, I finally decided I was going to get off that train. <laughs> Man, well, hopefully Paul learned his lesson with that eventually. But um, You know, it took a while before Paul and I came to a place where you know, he's my big brother. So he's always he always was like kind of a 
I have this figured out more than you, you know, because I'm the big brother. Right. I'm the big brother. So I, I know that now, too. He's totally, now he is 100% respectful of my perspective. We've done, we've done like two albums worth of my solo stuff, which will never get released, but we, we like working together. He appreciates my, you know, sensibility. So it's all good now, you know. Oh, I understand that. I'm the oldest of three, so I was I was the Paul in, in with my brother and sister. So I, I completely understand that perspective. Torturing, no. Yeah. <laughs> so you eventually made it into Black Flag. How did how did you meet up with them, and and how did you get that gig? All right. So meanwhile, I'm in UCLA studying economics and computers, just to to give you that perspective. Okay. So I'm. Uh, so Black Flag's my favorite band. And at a certain point, for like six months, I dated Henry. And uh, my friend, who was also in, in Sexic, uh, was dating their drummer, Chuck Biscuits. Okay. And, which is how I met Henry in person. Um, so, like, after we had broken up and at some point he called me. I was basically just going to school. I don't think I was in a band at that time. He called me and, and, oh, no, no, that's not true. I was playing in DC3 for like a couple months. And that's Dez's band, Dez Kadena with guitar. And it was going to be a power trio. It was going to be me and Dez and this drummer. And we were practicing at the same place as Black Flag did. So one, so Henry calls me and he says, do you want to stay after, you know, we're Black Flag Chuck out, do you want to stay after and and try out for Black Flag? Oh, wow. You know, there won't be anything between us. Right. right. And I'm like, I got it. <laughs> um, so, so I go, uh, I, I hang around after DC3 practice and they don't seem to know anything about it, but oh, they're like, God. oh, okay, yeah, we can jam. Oh, geez. So that was awkward. That, I was about to say that had to be a little awkward. But we jam. And, and I said, well, you know, I'm in UCLA and I'm like three years in and, you know, I want to finish, but I'm willing to take quarters off to tour, you know? So we talked, we talked out some basic logistical stuff about that, about touring and about me trying to finish school. And they said they'd work around my schedule. And that was that. That was my tryout was a, a jam so at, at this point some how of the songs like there there's a record called uh process of weeding out and there's some jam type songs and it's the kind of material that we jammed on okay okay so at this point how big is black flag or how well known are they well see that's the thing <laughs> it's very hard to have perspective now because punk rock in general and black flag Nobody knows anything about this very an underground thing right right like now it's kind of infamous but back <laughs> then it, it was like nobody cared okay okay so it was like it was like you know sexic or you know it was maybe a little bigger like i always measured it by could they they could like sell out the whiskey Okay. The whiskey's like 300, 400 people. Okay. You know? We're not talking about thousands of people. Right, because it's not arena rock. It's not. Well, but not only is it attitude not, it's not. You couldn't draw that many people. Right. 
And so, so they ask you to play and they're willing to work around your school schedule. And you're not even, you're not studying like, you know, general studies or English. You're, no, you're studying applied economics. Math, applied math, economics and computers. Oh, it was really hard. Yeah. So you're, you're studying those, those pretty, uh, Pretty serious, impressive subject, and touring with a band, recording. I, how did I don't know how you didn't drop from exhaustion just listening to you. I'm tired. Well, the tr- I took quarters off when we toured, but what oftentimes they would literally be dropping me off at UCLA to go <laughs> to my first day of classes. Oh my god! And like inevitably, when we were recording, I would have like a midterm, you know, right after. <laughs> so like. While we're recording, we do these like forty-eight-hour lockouts. Do you know what that means? No, no. Can you explain that? Like, to so me? you, so you, to save money, you pay for forty-eight hours in the studio, and you just have to like oh. play as much as you possibly can, and like record the whole record, so, or, you know, do as much. So we would record till we dr- dropped, and then during the drop, then I would study because oh my midterm coming. I, you know, I would do something similar in college when I was studying photography. We, you'd have to book studio and darkroom time. This is, you know, early nineties. You'd have to uh, book studio and darkroom time to get your projects done. And by the end of the quarter, you're booking as much time. And you're, um, I mean, I literally spent eighteen hours in a darkroom and I, I, taking little naps while I'm working on my projects. So, okay, that that makes sense. I, I can, I know where you're coming from with that. Yeah, it was, you know, it was difficult, and I had there were there were classes I didn't do that well on <laughs> but you know i mean luckily by the time i was three years in my schedule wasn't um i mean it, t- it did take me you know the whole two more years that i was in black flag to do my last year because i was taking quarters off to tour so my schedule wasn't too ridiculous but i, I did suffer i mean because i had to go to all in order to I was not a math wizard to go to to pass. I would have to go to all the office hours and everything. Oh yeah. So you know. Anyway, and we practiced for five hours a day when we were in town. <laughs> oh gosh. So I had to go to school. I had to practice for five hours, and I had to study. You know. I I read that almost immediately after you joined Black Flag, you actually uh, injured. Uh, was it? Uh, you had an arm injury, a wrist injury, or something like that. Was that, oh, that was the first like three within three days. It oh was gosh. like I um it was not a, an injury. I just I you know I hurt myself playing. <laughs> Basically the ten the tendon in my right hand and it, it, it was like one particular like move. I heard this kind of pop and uh, oh god to UCLA you know and they were like yeah you should probably not play for six weeks and they la- they all laughed at me that I had done this playing days oh and I put it in this little splint and they said you shouldn't play for six weeks but I had just joined Black Flag and I was a girl <laughs> yeah you <laughs> couldn't not play and then not play for six weeks oh yeah so I you know I mean they were really cool about it. like they were like hey if you need to take time off but I couldn't do it. Like, like I told you the part about how I was really competitive. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So did that? So did that my hands af- never really been the same. Well, that was going to be my next question. Has that affected how you played from then on, or, or is it something that well, recovered in it your? It did affect how I played, but it, it my dexterity in my right hand. I'm left-handed and like an idiot. I play right-handed. Oh. So my right hand is definitely. <laughs> 
lack some dexterity. <laughs> so touring with Black Flag, that yeah. I, I've I've heard some stories about how intense that was, and because of the DIY ethos and and the fact that they're not a they, you know like you were saying they're not a huge band. You guys had to do everything yourself. It, how hard was it? Because I imagine uh, driving around with Henry can get pretty intense. Um, driving around with Henry is not the, the thing that makes touring intense. <laughs> to be clear. Um, well, so I, first of all, we, after the first tour I did, which was just one of several, or we started carrying our own PA system, which added oh, uh, a lot of expense and added a lot of work because we're now carrying it, loading in and out a whole PA system. Um, but you'd go to these halls and they'd have like this tiny little piece of shit PA system and you'd have like hundreds of people who'd show up and they wouldn't be able to hear Henry singing. And so I mean, it was just bullshit. Yeah. So we just, you know, so that was something that made it really hard and it added hours because it took us hours to load it out and then we have to drive and then we have to load it in. So we were getting four hours sleep, maybe less. We might have to leave that night depending on how long the drive was oh, wow. um, and just rotate drivers, you know, and try to get some rest. Um, so it was mostly um, lack of sleep, you know, <laughs> carrying stuff, playing two hours a night. Uh, so that's your body just undergoing. You know, it's kind of like, think of it like training for the Olympics. Okay. You know, it's just really, it, it's kind of physically just grueling. And it wasn't, I mean, personality wise, like we all were very businesslike. There wasn't bickering. There wasn't, you know, I was just wasn't like that you know henry kept to himself i kept to myself everyone kept to themselves you know and and in a positive way just like you know because we were tired and irritable and you know it was business you know right okay okay you know there's i've heard about touring like i said punk touring it's it's fairly aggressive as i guess as as they get to become an open more established genre it it's uh, it appears to be to me to be, as, as an outsider not knowing tons and tons about punk to be a, an aggressive style of, of music and henry has mentioned stories and interviews that I've, I've seen with him over the years about some aggression towards the band uh, and towards him in particular did you get did, did you experience anything like that or, or was that mainly since he was the front man that was more of uh well, he, took the, he took the brunt of it, no doubt. And I didn't experience it as much as he, in the tour before, uh, the European tour before we went to Europe, it was really bad. See, the problem is audiences had this expectation of them sounding a certain way, looking a certain way, right? And yeah. inevitably, you know, you're not doing it right. And so the, the, <laughs> People get pissed off. It's like, you you don't look punk enough. You're not, you know, playing those songs. You're playing these songs. You yeah. know, I mean, so in uh, Europe was the worst. Like, I had a full beer can dropped on my head. Oh, gosh. Manchester throwing folding chairs. And then in Scotland, wow. they were, Glasgow, they were spitting on us. 
and to the point where Greg went behind his amp, and I just went face my amp, but Henry stood there and took it. Oh, and then afterwards, we're standing outside, you know, loading up our shit, and the guys were like, oh, that was really cool. And we're like, well, I know what you were spitting on us. Oh, like, well, that's, that's what we do, man. That's pumped, you know. And we're like, oh. well, we'll see you in 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that's so gross. That's disgusting. But you see what I mean? Like, part of it is just this idea of, like, this is what punk is. And, and Henry did take the brunt of that kind of behavior of, like, you know, slam, slam into you, jump up on the stage, and then leap off and kick him in the face with their boots. Yes. Oh, gosh. Now, this, the last album that you were on with Black Flag, um, that, that album is a little bit different and it, the, the songs are a bit longer, maybe a little a slower. Was, was that a direct result of stuff like that? You know, people having a certain expectation of punk at this point. And now since punk is all about anti-authoritarianism, anti-establishment, now there's an establishment of, of the punk sound and you may be rebelling against that. Or am I just thinking too much so, into it? Um, so you have, I think you have the order wrong. It's really, um, right at the, when I joined the record, right as I had joined, which had already been recorded called My War had some really slow songs on the second side. Okay. And, um, and that was actually one of those songs that I hurt my hand on. Oh, geez. Um, Cause it was, they're really heavy. And the, the style of this sort of heavy, slower play was something, you know, that I think, I wouldn't say it was a reaction to like, we don't want to be predictable, but it was a, a sensibility of Greg wanting to do, you know, to expand for his own sake, right. you know, in his own sense of style and, and heaviness to, to our sensibility playing heavy, dirty, you know, stuff did not, by definition, not mean punk. It was angry. It was hostile. It was, right. you know, had all of this emotion to it. To me, it's about the, what is it expressing? You know? Okay. So that album had probably the most of those, the th these three side two is three long, slow songs. <laughs> yeah. And after that, I would say there were less of those types of songs. There's, there certainly weren't the sort of fast, hard, you know, the fast, you know, screamy kind of song. Okay. Um, and I was actually listening to In My Head just a, a little bit before connecting with you tonight. And it's, I hear a little bit of almost maybe a, a heavy metal influence in Greg's playing at that point. Was he, do you know if, was he listening to a lot of that to, to, to get those influences? Was that on purpose? Greg was listening to Grateful Dead and stuff. He oh was into all sorts of stuff. <laughs> but I think in terms of playing, it's in my head and my in my opinion is one of the coolest records because the way it evolved was different than the other records. Oh, that's uh, a like with 
uh, process of weeding out, we used to do these jams, right, where it would be like this riff, and we'd all play the riff over and over, and then Greg would solo and stuff like that. And in my head started out like that kind of record. It was instrumentals. Greg didn't write lyrics. Okay. And Henry would sit and practice and listen to us jam on those, and he wrote lyrics. Oh, cool. so, so most of the songs have been written through music and lyrics together to work together. And that, those were some of several of them were written more as these sort of kind of repeating, you know, driving riffs with Henry coming up with lyrics. So I always like when a singer writes their own lyrics because they feel them a bit more and I always yeah. felt like there's some stuff on in my head that you can just tell Henry's digging into in a way that only a f you know there are definitely songs earlier that he felt in that deep way but there's several and in my head that you could just tell are coming right from his gut yeah but how did things end with Black Flag uh, they don't want to play with you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it was Chuck who was still working for Black Flag um, and kind of managing who like takes me, you know, away from the practice pad and says, I don't want to play with you anymore oh, <laughs> at wow. the end of the 1985 tour. And I kind of knew because I knew they were scheduling a uh, tour on top of my last quarter of school. So I, I had found out uh, this fact. So I wasn't, I wasn't blindsided, but anyway, okay. it's just that simple. And I, and he tried, you know, we, you know, I said, I'd like to take this amp and, uh, you know, we, we made arrangements such as they were and went our separate ways. Since I don't exactly know how this happened, I, I might be jumping around a little bit here. You're actually currently a dialogue editor and uh, for theatrical films and, and shows. You also play with Mike Watt in the band Dose. Yeah. Now, how far in between what you're doing now and, and a Black Flag, did you start doing dialogue editing and, and getting into that? Was it immediately after or was it uh, no. did it take time? No. So the order goes, um, I knew Mike and I started dose with him right pretty close after being out of Black Flag okay. because I was, uh, I knew him and we started dating and eventually married. I, uh, had studied computers, like I told you in, in school. So my first sort of regular gig was, uh, I actually moved to, to New Haven for a year because my dad got me hired at New Haven computer department. Okay. Uh, and I worked in computer programming for 11 years before I changed careers and got into uh, post-production sound. Okay. And that's in it in between. Well, while you're, you're in the programming, you're demoing songs with, with Mike Watt and he's out. So he, is he still out in California and you're in Connecticut at this point? I was only in y at Yale for one year. Okay. And then I came back. And during that time, we sent tapes back and forth, figured out our first record. I came, I flew out to California. We recorded our first record. So, uh, Dose was going on while I was gone. And when I got back and has been going on for 30 plus years. Well, I listened to that, that first album and I, I love it. it. It sounds like it could have 
come out yesterday? Well, the funny thing about the first record is that the um, many of those songs were things I wrote. I did this thing when I was going to to New Haven. Uh, I was going to be away from my nephews, and I I had these bedtime stories that I would read, and I would write little noodling bass lines because I thought it was warm and calming, and I would make these story tapes to give to my nephews so they wouldn't forget my voice. Oh, wow. Broke their eggshells one hot summer day and poked their way up through the warm sand in which the eggs had been buried. They looked almost as much alike as so many raindrops. The mother turtle, who was sunning herself on the bank near so, so that's like some of them started okay, the ones yeah. that are like animals they like the, tur- the, the tortoise s- and the porcupine oh yeah and the, and the, the slow the, the slow little turtle yeah, I, I love exactly. that those started as um, these just sort of noodling bass lines to support my these st- stories for my nephews oh okay that makes sense because the, the, they're so sweet and they're, they're, they're beautiful I love them and on that Kira's tape that I saw on YouTube, there's also a demo of the Three Little Pigs, which was, was really interesting. And I, I appreciate you doing that because there's new information in there for me. I, <laughs> I always thought that the story ended after the, uh, the wolf couldn't blow down the, the brick house. I didn't realize that there was other stuff involved, like, like uh, going to an orchard and going to the market and then it all ends up in a milk jug. So that's, that's all new information for me. So I've really feel like my eyes have been opened on that. So thank you. So, yeah, so I became, <laughs> so, so eventually after 11 years of computer programming, I met this guy who uh, my brother was actually composing for a small student film and he was doing post sound for the film and they had me come record some bass. And so he had a little sound house and I started working for him doing uh, low budget movies starting to work in dialogue because it turns out dialogue is a very kind of girl oriented thing sound effects oh, really? is very boy oriented okay well yeah there's a lot of explosions and stuff so yeah, that, yeah cars that. guns yeah. <laughs> yeah. dialogue is dialogue dialogue is detailed and painstaking <laughs> and people talking to each other which guys aren't good at uh so um slowly you know I can say that my career has gone very well. It's very demanding. It takes up a lot of time. It makes it hard for me to uh, to balance. Sometimes I have time between gigs. Sometimes I don't. Uh, the gigs, you know, I, my hours are intense. So you know, there's a price to pay. But so, what? How does it? How does dialogue editing work? What do you actually? What are you? Oh, no, right. Doing? Like, what do you mean? Yeah. Right. So what happens is they record on set, but when they record on set, they do like, let's, they do this scene, this take, you know, this take, they do like eight takes from this angle. And then on this scene, on another angle, they do, they do a wide shot. They do a two shot. They do close ups, right? So they do all just for one scene. They might do like 20 different angles and then like eight takes of each right oh, you have all this material that the client the directors has recorded on the set and they go into the editing bay with the picture editor who chops it all up 
and creates a scene. And right. it comes to me, it's all chopped up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And it sounds like, um, you know, badly. Y- you wouldn't like it. You right. wouldn't think it sounded like one scene at all. <laughs> so it's my job to make it sound, smooth it out, solve problems. I, I, I consider it like how many problems can I solve before the mix? Okay. And then the mix comes and the mixer then makes it be- sound better still. Oh, okay. Okay. So that, that's interesting. That's man. And you, you worked on some amazing projects. Like you actually want you part of an Oscar winning team for Mad Max Fury Road. Um, you've worked on, let's see, Twilight. Um, see, uh, and you're working on Game of Thrones. Season two, I did Game of Thrones. Yes. That's, that's fantastic. I mean, it's, that's, I worked on Star is Born last year. Really? And uh-huh. Oh man. So so what what projects are you working on currently that you're that you can tell us about? I'm gonna hold back okay. on the current one. We'll just say that it's really, really cool and exciting. All right. Excellent. Well maybe you can uh, tell us a little bit about it once it to release really, you can say, Hey, that was me. Sure. Sure. <laughs> well, I don't. But yeah, last year it was uh, Aquaman and Stars Born back to back was a wow. huge year. It was like you know nine month projects back to back. It was intense and uh, a lot of work and a lot of hours, but uh, both very um, rewarding projects. In a project like, all right, let's take just take Aquaman for example. Is there just one dialogue editor? Are you are there multiple ones, and you're all working together, trying to piece t- together? Or? No, on that one, we actually had um, we had uh, what was unusual is we had a kind of a dialogue supervisor and an ADR supervisor. ADR being automatic dialogue replacement when you go into the studio and you record the voices to replace either problems or to add material. So I had another gal and I were working and we were really sort of teaming up because it was such a big, complicated show. On um, Star is Born, it was much more just me doing all of it. I had help here and there for you know a week at a time two weeks at a time but for much of the time it was just me and you're still recording music as uh dose with mike watt and also uh i saw that you you've done a project with devin hoft uh called awkward yes i also record in my room <laughs> at six thirty in the morning when nobody wants to record with me i have a virtual band uh and i i send things out to and i like i mentioned i i work with my brother sometimes on my solo stuff that i will never release oh you never release it because you don't think you want to is it or because the uh, i don't know it's like <laughs> The the joy of it is in the creation, okay. and not and people going telling me what they think of it. Oh, well, that's that makes complete sense. I totally understand that. I know you're actually at work right now, and I've taken up a lot of your time tonight. Uh, I really thank you for coming on with me. Uh, is is there anything as a guy alone doing my own sound in my little bedroom here talking with? people over the phone, any 
knowledge you can impart on on me who can't afford Pro Tools on what what is a what's something I can do to make my podcast sound good? <laughs> well, um, make sure you have a good mic. Okay. Um, but you sound pretty good. I mean, it sounds pretty good. So okay. that's good. And, uh, and, uh, I, I don't have any, I don't have any real suggestions. I mean, I, I think trying to get the best recordings as you are, uh, by finding ways of utilizing technologies, you know, and not skipping on equipment. It, yeah. I mean, if you can't, you know, do you have some kind of editing tool? I, I have a really old prehistoric version of uh, Adobe Audition. Yeah. I mean, so you, as long as you can get, do the editing you need to do. I mean, I'm a firm believer in the right tool for the right job. If you don't need Pro Tools to do what you do, then you don't need it. You, know? you don't, uh, it's, it's about getting the, Nail in the wood, not in the hand. It's just a it's just a hammer. Yeah. It's just a tool. It doesn't have to be a fancy hammer. <laughs> doesn't, I don't need a thousand dollar hammer to do a That's right. five dollar job. That'd be like some the way Watt would describe it. Yeah. Getting the nail in the wood. <laughs> well, Kira, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. It's been a Listen, great. Listen, make me a deal. If you come up with something that you're like, oh, God, I wish I would have talked to her about this, then write to me and we'll do a quick addendum. You got it. You got it. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.